You're listening to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast, the official podcast of the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation. We're bringing you the very best from the APSF newsletter and website, as well as the latest information in perioperative patient safety. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome back to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast. My name is Allie Bechtel, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us for another show. In November of 2020, we discussed postoperative recurarization and Sugamidex on episode number 20. This is one of the most popular episodes of all time, and it is a review of one of the most popular articles on our website. Today, we are going to revisit episode number 20 before diving into another important topic related to Sugamidex administration, anaphylaxis. But before we dive into today's episode, you've heard me recognize our corporate supporters on this show, but there's another supporter who is absolutely essential. You! Every individual donation matters so much. Please visit APSF.org and click on the Our Donors heading and consider making a tax-deductible donation to the APSF. And now, let's take a listen as we revisit episode number 20. Here we go! We are going to talk about one of the featured articles from the June 2020 APSF newsletter, Postoperative Recurization After Sugamidex Administration Due to Lack of Appropriate Neuromuscular Monitoring, the Japanese Experience. Written by Sasakawa, Miyasaka, Sawa, and Ida. You can follow along with us from the APSF website by clicking on the newsletter heading. Fourth one down is Newsletter Archives. Then click on the June 2020 newsletter. The article is the third featured article. Are you using Sugamidex at your institution? Sugamidex is a medication that very quickly reverses neuromuscular blockade from rocuronium and other non-depolarizing aminosteroid muscle relaxant medications by selective encapsulation. This article focuses on the experience of anesthesia professionals in Japan using this medication, which was first used in Japan in 2010 and has been given to about 12.32 million patients in the following eight years. Sugamidex has helped to decrease the risk of postoperative residual neuromuscular blockade from about 25 to 60 percent with reversal with neostigmine to only 1 to 4 percent with Sugamidex reversal. It is a safe and effective medication, but that is not where this story ends. At the end of 2018, there were 36 cases of recurrence of neuromuscular blockade reported in Japan. This led to the Safety Committee of the Japanese Society of Anesthesiologists publishing a warning about using correct dosing for Sugamidex in 2019. The correct dosing depends on the patient's body weight and depth of neuromuscular blockade. I will include the table for this in the show notes as well. The correct dose for a patient with a moderate neuromuscular block, as evidenced by the reappearance of T2 following train of four stimulation, is 2 mg per kilogram. Patients with a deep block with 1 to 2 on post-tectonic count can be reversed with 4 mg per kilogram. 
Finally, for immediate reversal, such as after three minutes of administration of rocuronium for intubation, administration of 16 milligrams per kilogram is appropriate. After reversal, it is important to monitor for any signs of an anaphylactic reaction or recurarization and monitor for return to fully intact neuromuscular function. Let's look closer at these cases. Many of the patients received inappropriate doses of Sugamidex without neuromuscular monitoring and inadequate management after Sugamidex administration. We have talked about this on the show before, but perioperative neuromuscular monitoring with a quantitative device is so important to help prevent postoperative residual neuromuscular blockade. Quantitative monitoring is an objective monitor for the degree of muscle relaxation and can be done with an accelerometer or electromyograms in addition to electric nerve stimulation. The advantage of this monitoring is that it provides an objective measure of the train of four to determine with the recovery reaches the point of a train of four ratio greater than 0.9. Quantitative monitors can also provide information about post-tectonic count for patients who have a deeper neuromuscular blockade. Qualitative monitors are still used frequently and depend on the anesthesia professional's subjective assessment of palpating or observing muscle contractions after nerve stimulation from the device. With qualitative devices, it is possible to get an estimate for the train of four count, but anesthesia professionals are unable to determine accurately and reliably when the train of four ratio is greater than 0.9, which is imperative for perioperative neuromuscular monitoring. Survey data reveals that only 22.7% of anesthesia professionals in the United States have access to quantitative monitors, and in Japan, using either a qualitative or quantitative monitor is not routine. Instead, anesthesia professionals rely on their subjective assessment for recovery from neuromuscular blockade based on clinical signs alone. An important factor in the inappropriate dosing of Sugaminex may be the lack of perioperative monitoring for neuromuscular blockade. Let's turn our attention to recurarization, which refers to an increase in neuromuscular blockade after a certain time period of recovery in the absence of further administration of neuromuscular blocking medications. This is something that we have seen in the past with reversal with acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, and there are now reports of this happening following Sugamidex administration. One study by Elevet and colleagues found that there was a reoccurrence of neuromuscular blockade after patients with a deep neuromuscular block were reversed with only a small dose of Sugamidex. Another case report revealed that an obese patient required reintubation due to recurarization in the setting of an inadequate Sugamidex dose, even though the patient had a train of four ratio of 0.9 just prior to the first extubation. This is definitely something that we need to closely evaluate in order to help keep our patients safe when using neuromuscular blocking medications. Why does recurarization occur? To understand this, we need to travel into the neuromuscular junction. It is here that even when muscle relaxants block 75% of the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, we can still see normal neuromuscular transmission with normal muscle strength because of the other 25% of the receptors. 
In the case that we just talked about, the patient had returned to normal muscle strength, but there was likely still low levels of muscle relaxants present. This is a setup for recurarization in the setting of respiratory acidosis, magnesium administration, or aminoglycoside administration. A small amount of remaining rocuronium can stay unbound in the central compartment in patients who do not receive an adequate dose of Sugamidex, and these remaining rocuronium molecules are then free to redistribute to the peripheral compartment, then onto the neuromuscular junction, leading to return of impaired neuromuscular function. Recognition of the problem was the first step. Another important step towards improved patient safety came out in the 2019 revised JSA guidelines for monitoring during anesthesia, which included the following updated wording. Neuromuscular monitoring should be performed in patients receiving muscle relaxants and their antagonists. These guidelines do not recommend what type of monitor to use, but quantitative monitoring is preferred. Other monitors, such as qualitative devices and clinical muscle function tests, such as the five-second head lift and sustained hand grip, are only able to detect train-of-four ratios of 0.4 or less and cannot be used to accurately determine when the patient has crossed the threshold of a train-of-four ratio of 0.9. The authors report neuromuscular monitoring and availability of quantitative monitors since Japan's national medical insurance system does not reimburse for the medical expenses of neuromuscular monitoring and the standalone and portable acceleromyography devices have been discontinued and are no longer for sale. The good news is that several new quantitative neuromuscular devices are now available, including electromyography-based monitors, a three-dimensional accelerometer, and monitors that include a modified blood pressure cuff with neuromuscular electrodes inside. This is especially exciting because these newer devices also have the advantages of easy calibration, simple to use, and incorporation of adaptive mechanisms to compensate for postural changes, while the disadvantages include newer devices that have not stood the test of time and higher cost. The authors conclude that the lack of perioperative neuromuscular monitoring has led to an increased risk of recurarization after inadequate Sugamidex dosing in Japan. Now that Sugamidex use has increased around the world, the authors acknowledge the need to warn the medical community about the risk of recurarization. Going forward, there is a need for medical device manufacturers to create neuromuscular monitors that are easy to use, safe, reliable, and affordable. And there is a call to action for anesthesia professionals to use neuromuscular monitoring to guide reversal with Sugamidex so that the patient receives the appropriate dose at the right time. Stay vigilant for clinical signs of recurarization, anaphylaxis, and other postoperative complications whenever you are using muscle relaxants and reversal agents. And we are back to the present and ready to dive into some new content. Let's talk about anaphylaxis following Sugamidex administration. For this review, we are looking at the article, Current Status of Sugamidex Usage and the Occurrence of Sugamidex-Induced Anaphylaxis in Japan by Takazawa and colleagues. You can follow along by clicking on the newsletter heading. 
fifth one down is Newsletter Archives. Then scroll down to the June 2018 newsletter. And the second one down is our featured article today. I will include a link in the show notes as well. The authors open with a review of Sugamidex hitting the scene and the sales history. It was first released in the European Union in 2008, followed by the release in Japan in 2010. The sales data is impressive, with over $51 million in Japan, followed by over $11 million in Spain in sales in the year 2010. Over the first eight years of Sugamidex use in Japan, it was administered to about 10% of the total Japanese population. The impressive use of Sugamidex in Japan is despite the price difference, with $6 for reversal with neostigmine and atropine, and $90 for Sugamidex. Sugamidex provides fast, reliable reversal for aminosteroid muscle relaxation. And Japanese anesthesia professionals may not consider drug costs prior to administration due to the nationwide health insurance system in Japan, which decreases the patient's financial burden. Given the extensive administration of Sugamidex, there have been 284 cases of Sugamidex-induced anaphylaxis between April 2010 and June 2017 that were reported to the Adverse Events Database associated with the Japanese Pharmaceuticals and Medical Devices Agency, or PMDA. Let's break down the cases. Of the 284 cases, 157 cases were reported as anaphylactic shock. 88 cases were reported as an anaphylactic reaction. Four cases were reported as anaphylactoid shock, and five cases were reported as an anaphylactoid reaction. Historically in Japan, allergic reactions with IgE were called anaphylaxis, while anaphylactoid events do not involve IgE. Data from the PMDA revealed an incidence of Sugamidex-induced anaphylaxis of about 1 in 40,000 cases. The Japanese Society of Anesthesiologists, or JSA, reported 95 cases of Sugamidex-induced anaphylaxis between April 2010 and October 2013, with a similar incidence of anaphylaxis related to Sugamidex administration of about 29 for every 1 million administration events. Keep in mind that this may underestimate the incidence of this serious adverse event due to underreporting. Instead of a large database, if we look at a single center study in Japan, six cases of anaphylaxis following Sugamidex administration were reported over the three-year study period for an incidence of 1 in 2,500 cases, or 0.039%, which was considerably higher. This is similar to the incidence of anaphylaxis reported from two institutions in New Zealand that were associated with succinylcholine and rocuronium administration of 0.048% and 0.04% respectively. The JSA study of the 95 cases of anaphylaxis revealed that 76 cases had a clear onset time following Sugamidex administration. Anaphylaxis occurred within 5 minutes in 50 cases and 10 minutes in 66 cases. Other studies have reported earlier onset times for signs and symptoms within about 2 to 4 minutes. Signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis may include bronchospasm and airway edema, with decreased oxygen saturation being reported in about 50% of the reported cases of anaphylaxis. 
The authors caution that if there is a delayed onset time, patients may be at risk for clinical deterioration during transport to the PACU or ICU, especially if they are not monitored closely. Okay, let's do a quick review of drugs that are reported to cause anaphylaxis in the perioperative period. The authors provide data from their own institution into skin testing for 22 patients with perioperative anaphylaxis between May of 2012 and March 2016. In 20 cases, the responsible medication was discovered. Check out figure 2 in the article. Sugaminex tops the charts at 32%, followed closely by rocuronium at 27%, and antibiotics at 23%. Then there's a big drop-down to 9% for local anesthetics and 5% for propofol, with an unknown causative agent finishing the list at 9%. For a review of the definition of anaphylaxis, which must include the following. Number one, clinical diagnostic criteria for anaphylaxis. Number two, high blood levels of histamine and or tryptase. And number three, a positive reaction to the culprit drug with skin testing. Keep in mind that while skin testing is the gold standard for the evaluation of the causative agent following anaphylaxis, it may not be readily performed since it may induce anaphylaxis and may cause pain. Another option is in vitro allergy testing with a blood sample and detection of IgE, but Sugamidex-specific IgE has not been reported yet. Finally, a basophil activation test may be used to help with the diagnosis of Sugaminex-induced anaphylaxis, but further evaluation is necessary. The authors conclude with the reminder that further investigations into the incidence of Sugaminex-induced anaphylaxis are needed in Japan and worldwide since the reported events at the time of this article may have been underreported or limited by the small size at a single institution. In order to keep patients safe following Sugaminex administration, it is important to be on the lookout for anaphylaxis and continue to monitor patients closely following administration. Thank you for tuning in to learn even more about the vast experience of Sugaminex used for reversal of neuromuscular blockade in Japan and what we can do going forward to help keep patients safe from the risk of recurarization and anaphylaxis. Have you seen either of these events in your practice? If you have any questions or comments from today's show, please email us at podcast at APSF.org. Visit APSF.org for detailed information and check out the show notes for links to all the topics we discussed today. Please keep in mind that the information in this show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical or legal advice. Have you joined the conversation on Twitter? If so, we would love for you to tag us in a tweet using hashtag APSF podcast and share your patient safety related story. Thanks for listening. And we can't wait to hear from you soon. Until next time, stay vigilant so that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care.